Welcome to the Pet Industry Podcast, connecting you with the people behind the passion, the leading experts in the pet industry. Here are your hosts, Steve Cawthron and Dr. Megan Sprinkle. While at SuperZoo, we were fortunate to talk with Caitlin Dudas, the co-founder and executive director of the Pet Sustainability Coalition. That is a mouthful. Uh, But Caitlin is amazing. She had a very confident presence, and she should. She has a background in corporate sustainability and nonprofit work, and she saw an opportunity to address environmental impact in the pet industry and build something bigger than just one individual. Caitlin had several fangirls in the room with her beside myself, and one was Irene, one of our colleagues at BSM, who is also a sustainability enthusiast. So I was glad to have Irene there to ask some questions as well. But uh, Steve, what was your favorite part of our conversation with Caitlin? You know, Megan, I was thoroughly impressed with her answer to my question, which I thought was going to be a stumper for her. Uh, I asked her about recycling and, you know, its, its actual benefits and its impacts. Uh, and she really, uh, she, she threw me, I, I was very <laughs> impressed with the way she came back with that, but I really shouldn't have been surprised because, uh, she clearly knows what she's doing and what she's talking about. I absolutely agree. And that was a great question. And I think a lot of people have questions around recycling. So I'm glad you asked about it. And Kaylin really explains how important, uh, sustainability is and where it's important because it's not with the consumers, not the government. It's really the businesses that can make the biggest impact. And all of us are part of that. And even if the planet isn't your jam and your language is profit, doing the right thing, implementing sustainability correctly is profitable. And Caitlin talks about that too. So I'm so excited to share this conversation with Caitlin. And here she is. Thank you so much for being with us today. Like you said, you have a a busy schedule and we're really honored to be able to talk to you a little bit today. And I also have Irene here today, who is also a big sustainability enthusiast. Um, So you were actually just saying a, a story about working with some projects that the Pet Sustainability Coalition had. So just so you can introduce yourself to Caitlin as well a little bit. Do you mind sharing the the uh, little challenge that you became a part of and sure so I participated in the pet sustainability coalition's 10,000 actions and I was one of the the first people to do to complete three actions once the thing started and so I was one of the group that that received a very adorable t-shirt but it was also exciting to to learn all the different things that that can be done to improve your sustainability as an individual and as a company so I thought it was just a brilliant endeavor by the PSC group. Yeah, that's one of the um, first times we've had an Earth Day rally and an opportunity to just bring individuals together to take these small steps because change can feel so big and so hard. One of our goals as an organization is how do we make that digestible? Um, And so we ended up reaching over 12,000 actions through that 30-day campaign, Um, but it sounds like you were right out of the gate. Um, So nice work. Yes. So we were also really interested to hear more about your personal story getting into the the pet space because you come from having a master's at Harvard with sustainability focus. So why why pet? I live in Boulder, Colorado. And 
in Boulder, the natural food space is enormous, right? So we've seen a ton of growth from a lot of startup companies, from Justin's Peanut Butter to the Natural Pet Food Expo uh, is led out of Boulder as well in California. And so Boulder is this innovative startup space in the natural food sector. Alongside that came several companies that started working in the pet food industry. And honestly, I was working with an organization at the time that provided nonprofit consulting business services for companies that are looking to adopt sustainability practices. And the first client I worked with, so that organization is led by Hunter Lovins, who's this kind of world-renowned leader in the sustainability space. I had studied her extensively, read a lot of her work, and then ended up living about 15 miles from where their headquarters was. I. Uh, found an event that she was speaking at and went down and introduced myself and said, here's my background. I'd love to work on what you're working on. And I had a master's degree and she said, how about an unpaid internship? <laughs> and I said, sign me up. So that was really my first experience in the sustainable business consulting. So I had originally intended to be in the land management space, but in my master's degree, really understanding the leverage that businesses have to drive impact and how as individuals, we can all do our part, right? We can recycle, we can make individual choices, but that businesses have this opportunity for impact that's scalable in a new way. So I became very inspired around the sustainable business movement, how I could work with businesses to turn sustainability into a language that they could speak, right? That there was ROI, that I could show them sustainability isn't always more expensive, especially depending on what you focus on first. And so in the pet space specifically, my first client was I and Loving You. And I was really working on a project with them and helping them put in place some tools inside of their business. And I met one of their co-founders, which was Chris Bentley, and realized really early on that he had this vision around how to really shift the entire industry. So yes, he decided I should leave with my company, right? If I'm going to show the industry that this is possible, then let's start with me, right? With I and Love and You. But I recognized that he had this much wider vision and he had been in the pet industry for 25 years. And so he came and we had a couple of lunch meetings and he said, I just met you and I had just started at this organization. A long-term event, someone left on paternity leave, I ended up managing the project, and then he and I just really connected around this vision for leveraging his network and his experience and his passion around environmentalism. He had talked with CEOs for 20 years. What are you doing? What are you doing? You know, talking to Kong. Oh, we put solar here. Talking to all these companies. And there were all these piecemeal projects happening. And so he felt this growing demand for sustainability. And I came along with the experience, the education, and the ability to take that vision and really run with it. How did we, you know, we launched with a suite of tools. We didn't just say, hey, we have this idea and we think we can, it can work. We went to the apparel sector and we said, hey, come to Global Pet come show us what your industry has done. We went to the natural food sector and said, how are you doing this? We didn't really just say, let's reinvent the wheel. We said, what's been successful? They've been doing it for 20 years. Can we do it in three? Can we catch up with all of these other industries that have been addressing this need? We know what you put in and on your body is where you start thinking about sustainability first because there are health implications. We knew that there were shifts um, in the pet industry happening where pets were becoming family members. As we started seeing these consumer trends, you know, when we first got here, we were slightly early to market. There were not conversations happening around what sustainable business is. So it meant defining that first and just talking about what is the potential of sustainable business? What is it and how can it be good for me? I mean, I was walking into booths with slide decks, talking about the business case, the business case, the business case. And that conversation has so shifted in just the last six to eight years as consumers have really started demanding more sustainability in their products. So there wasn't anyone in this industry doing this work. My co-founder had extensive experience and a network to bring to the table. And 
I don't know, I was in my late 20s and it sounded like a great idea and I was very ambitious and I said, all right, let's do it. So he and I started in 2013. That's fantastic. And so have you noticed anything that's really unique and special about the pet industry compared to some of the other industries when it comes to the topic of sustainability? So unique pieces around the pet industry. Well, there are a lot of unique challenges that make sustainability a little bit difficult. One of them being just all of the kind of middle players in the supply chain. So what it takes to bring a product forward. There's a lot, especially in food specifically, there might be a, a producer and a pre-processor and a secondary processor. And anyways, there are so many different players in the industry that creating systemic change in these big issues is complicated and takes a long time. And so there are more challenges, I think, generally in this industry that I've seen in other spaces. I think on the packaging side, there are also challenges. There's not a unified system of how we create packaging. So there are thousands of different formulations. There are different closures and zippers and pouches and metalized layers. And there's so many different things that it's that unifying all of these different aspects is a little bit more challenging. I think on the plus side, Certainly, the Pets as Family actually assists in people's ability to say, hey, if I care what I put in my body or on my body, then I also care what I put in and on my pet's body. Um, And so it's a little bit more of a direct correlation because the pet is so close to the family. And there's also this deep sense of caring in this industry, right? Like, ultimately, we're caring about pets, right? Pets don't have a voice, pets who we steward and care for. And I think... Caring about the planet is really an extension of that depth of care. So it's not that many ripples out to think, hey, if I care about me and my family, like I care about my community. And if I care about my community, then I care about where we live. And if I care about my park and where I live and where I play, then maybe I care about where other people live and play. And so really that care can extend and ripple beyond just based on those core values of this industry overall. Yeah. And... When it comes to the pet industry, how what is the impact of the pet industry upon environmental issues? Yeah, I was reading some incredible information this morning. So it's a hundred some billion dollar industry, right? Which makes it almost double the size of the baby industry, right? So huge impact. If you think about, oh, that pet industry, so many people think, right? Pet industry is small, that's just a little thing. This is an enormous industry. So it's big, therefore it has big impact. It's global, right? So many of our products are made overseas and they're made in places where our environment and our habitat is, we don't have that much left of it. So really thinking critically about those resources and where we're pulling resources from. If you look at proteins, right? If you think, okay, 50% of just the United States is agricultural land, of that 80% is used on meat, and of that 25% comes to this industry, we have an enormous opportunity to play a role in this agricultural transformation that's happening across food security and food stability around the world, right? And so to me, it's not a niche industry, right? Like when I talk to my friends, they're like, pet industry, that's so random. And I'm like, you have no idea how big this industry is and how much opportunity. So when I see the impact that we have, it's big. But to me, that actually translates to big opportunity. And it's really exciting, right? Because it means that the work that I do, even if today's state, you could look at it and say, wow, so much degradation is happening. And you can get really dark about it. To me, that's just like, look at this amazing opportunity we have to make transformation. The pet industry is so welcoming to us. After being here for 10 years, as people are excited to talk to us about what innovations are happening on the forefront, and we see 
quantifiable change that really fuels us. There's a lot of dark things that happen on an annual basis, you know, when you look at what's happening in the world, but we're really able to actually put numbers around the changes. Like half of our members have some type of certified ingredient in their product at this point, sustainably certified ingredient in their product. So we're able to, you know, kind of see these trends and changes that really help to kind of motivate us beyond some of the darkness that's happening in the world. Yeah, there's hope, right? There is hope, yes. <laughs> well, so you mentioned about innovation and things that are happening. So what are some of these innovations that people are doing to help with the sustainability? Yeah, so the pet industry focuses a lot on packaging. Um, and it really, I would say in the last five years, sustainable packaging has become the leading environmental issue by far. Sometimes it pains me because the truth is that if you look at a bag of food, 20% of its impact is the bag and 80% of its impact is what's in the bag. And so sometimes I think we tend to focus on things that aren't materially where the biggest opportunities are to really have impact. However, at the end of the day, your consumer has your package with your brand on it and they don't know what to do with it, right? And so our individual experience of sustainability is so formed by the recycling system of like, if you recycle, you're therefore a part of a sustainable lifestyle, which is not enough. Clearly, we're not going to recycle our way out of climate change. That's just not a scalable solution. But certainly, I would say there has been so much improvement in the packaging space. So we see a lot of demand on how do we move to more sustainable formats? What are the clear solutions around this? The technology is now in place for companies to make a public commitment to move to either recyclable, refillable, or compostable by 2025. So that's a really exciting space where we're seeing demand with solutions at the same time and just rapid acceleration. I think on the protein side, there's I identified about four years ago that animal welfare was going to be one of the largest issues to come into the pet food sector. And when this industry talks about animal welfare, they think about like, how are we treating pets in shelters? And that's not what I mean when I talk about animal welfare. I talk about what is the care that we are providing for the animals that are raised to be ingredients in our pet food. And if we are selling to a consumer who cares so deeply about animals and its pet, it also cares how we're treating the proteins that are being raised for this food. And so we have absolutely seen in the last several years a very strong increase in awareness and interest in looking at ethically sourced proteins. And so seeing a lot of interest in that space. And then just general like traceability and transparency. Questions brands want to be able to ask, where is this coming from? And where was it raised? You know, where was it manufactured? But also where does it actually come from, right? Where are the origins of these ingredients? And I think that transition of just increased knowledge around what are we creating and where is it coming from and therefore where are opportunities to make changes is you know quickly advancing across the industry so let's see we talked about packaging we talked about proteins i think those are the two biggest areas that we see innovation coming from you know looking at materials in the plastic space there's a lot of looking at kind of climate injustice and where is pollution landing in our planet I and mean, what do we do about that there are like three primary places in india where most of our packaging is sent to and the pollution problems that exist from us pushing our problems to other places and so we've seen a lot of of interest in kind of investing in solutions that may not happen here in the United States as well, as well as supply chain crashing, right? So you're seeing a lot of companies bringing their supply closer to home. And a part of that is sustainability, but a part of that is just having some more transparency and control over supply and what it takes to bring a product to market and trying to address this realization of supply chain failure over the last couple of years.
Speaking of transparency, that seems to be a word that comes up quite a bit in the pet industry. Are there other ways, like are pet owners, are you seeing them having more demand for this transparency? Where else are you starting to see that need when it comes around this topic? I really think this has been an evolution in a consumer mind for a long time. So I think some things have happened like access to data generally, right? So where do we go to get information? We want to be able to research the answer to any question that we possibly have in our brain, right? Like that is just an expectation is if I have a question, I should be able to find the answer to that. The Google generation, yes, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> so I think this kind of hunger for knowledge and control over our choices, right? So we want to think, hey, I can understand any issue, actually, and then I can make choices that are good for me and my family, which includes my pets, right? So there's those two things happening. At the same time, I think there's a real lack of trust in corporate America, right? Like, I think there has been a lot of tragedy that has happened at the hand of corporations. You know, you see things like Nike soccer balls, right? And realizing that those are made by children and there are families that are dying and slave labor. And so there's been with waves of activism, a realization by the average person that um, there are things that can't be trusted, right? And so I think a lack of trust in corporate America, along with a desire for traceability and transparency and a desire to just like control the purchasing decisions that we make. Like every time we purchase a product, somehow we see it as a reflection of ourselves, right? Like I chose this, here's how it aligns with my values and I feel really great about it. And so I think all of those things happening at the same time have created this high demand for companies to take responsibility for impacts of their production process, right? That we're not willing to say, hey, you can emit pollution into the air and then we're gonna pay higher bills when we go to the doctor because we're sick, but who's actually causing that pollution and so I think there's just this new wave of kind of corporate responsibility that's an expectation, particularly here in America. We don't see that as much. We have about 25% of our members are in Europe, where the government is really stepping up and setting a much higher bar as minimum expectation. And there really isn't the same expectation on corporations to be innovative, to be problem solvers, and to be stating what their performance is. Here in the US, if you don't say what you're doing, people assume you're doing bad things. Right. In the EU, they just assume, well, you're following all the regulations. Right. So that's good enough. Those are very different kind of mindsets of you know, the average consumer. So I think a lot of people can help in, in this area, whether it's pet owners who want to demand more sustainability efforts, also retailer stores. I know that there are a lot of stores that will selectively pick companies and products that they feel are following these sustainable um, efforts. But I also see that sustainability is, can be used almost like a buzzword, but we don't always know what that means. So how can we, as consumers or retailers, how do we know if, if a company really is sustainable? I think in 2016, when millennials became the largest pet owning generation, right, there was this enormous follow up by this industry to start talking about sustainability because we realized this is a selling point, right? They're willing to pay more for it. So therefore, let's start talking about this. So we saw big brand dollars and promotions and ad dollars going towards sustainability campaigns. At the same time, not really understanding what metrics those things are correlated with or, you know, like the proof in the pudding, right? And so I think greenwashing is an enormous problem in this industry. I think it's a natural part of progression for most industries is they start talking about it because it's super exciting and then realizing, oh, this is actually hard work, right? And how do we have the infrastructure of a program 
in order to be making these claims. I think there's a lot of certifications, particularly in the ingredients side, whether you're sourcing fish or you're sourcing chicken or beef, there's a lot of environmental certifications that can help with that process. That's also true on the packaging side and unified labeling programs that help to tell that story. And a whole lot of companies will just make up a label, right? And they'll be like, this looks really great. Let's put a leaf on it. And we'll say we're sustainable. And that's just not acceptable, right? And But this is really a new issue for this industry, like in the last five years. And so I do think there's a need for more standardization. So we've created an accreditation program that's a third-party verified process to help companies measure where they are today, to choose an environmental impact area of significance to their business and a social impact area of significance. And then really we use a third-party auditor to go through this process to, you know, to verify all of the answers that they're giving, to request documentation, and to set a new standard for this industry because we really recognize that for a retailer, there are a million questions that you might have for a company and it's almost impossible to be able to be a specialist in all of them, right? Like poop bags are a great example. You go to a company and they say, these are compostable. And you think, wow, that's great. I'm gonna buy compostable bags. That is such a complicated issue. <laughs> like, I won't even get into all of the ways that the poop bag issue is hard to solve. Uh, it's like we can't even decide paper or plastic. Same thing happens, right, in, in the poop bag space, in my opinion. Sustainability isn't always intuitive either, right? So we expect we could just ask some hard questions of a brand and they're going to be able to answer it and then we'll move on. But I do think more um, standardization is required and documentation of, okay, if you're saying these things, like what does sustainability mean to you? And if someone tells you, well, I use 20% recycled content in my bags. Like, to me, that's not enough. But a whole lot of people don't understand what is enough, right? Like, where do we set that line? And so I think it's a missing component in the industry, but I also think it's the absolute natural progression of how you see change in sustainability affect many industries, right? So you get this high greenwashing curve, which is then going to start to be standardized. If you look at many of the climate talks that happened internationally, they're calling for standards too, right? They're developing standards committees to say, okay, we need a global reporting system by which we can talk apples to apples here because it is an impossible marketplace to be able to decipher between all of these different solutions and marketing programs that companies have. So it's definitely a missing piece, something that's needed. So a couple of years ago, we launched our, our accreditation program which is part of that. It's a retailer facing accreditation program. It has a ton of room to grow. If you look at standards that have helped consumers decipher these things, right? Like the organic certification is the number one thing that consumers recognize, but 1% of all the land in the United States is organic certified, right? Is that enough? I don't think that's enough. And so it's a consumer education is needed, but I think there's so much opportunity right here in the B2B space. And also, <laughs> I have to say that I don't always believe that we have to empower buyers to make these choices. Like sometimes I believe there are opportunities to work with great businesses to say this doesn't have to be a cost add, right? So how do we make choices as businesses because this is the ethical thing to do and it actually delivers ROI, right? If a company is looking at retrofitting for energy efficiency, there's gonna be enormous financial savings in that. Often what happens is there's not great accounting, so like you do those early projects, you save some money, and then the other projects down the road are a little more expensive, and suddenly you're like, oh, now this costs money. Instead of really accounting for all of the savings that you've had, or all the growth you had, the sales side of like, hey, we developed this new product and it has these sustainability implications and let's take the gross or the net profit that we think is because of the cause marketing or the sustainability marketing that we did and let's account for that when we're thinking about what's the return on sustainability. So I think if you're actually accounting for sustainability the right way, it actually isn't 
a, a cost center, or if it is, it's because you're looking at it short term, right? So you're not thinking about what is the long-term profitability of my business. And this industry is hard to do that, right? There's a lot of companies, you know, the selling and the buying rate in this industry is huge. So sometimes it's hard to have a beyond five years outlook, but that sustainable business practices, I truly believe are more profitable for a company in the long run, as long as you're willing to say, I don't need to see this in 18 months, you know, a return on this in 18 months, but I'm willing to look at three to five years. I don't know which one, the paper or the plastic. I, I've heard both sides go back and forth on that. So I, I do understand that one. Irene, did you have a question? It's probably a controversial question for you, but as you mentioned organics and, and comp- comparing organics to sustainability, so my question is, are organics always the most sustainable way to go, or are there some farming practices that may be more sustainable when they're not organic? The thing about certifications is that they're financially viable for large production, generally speaking, right? So there's two to three years that it takes to actually transition a crop from non-organic to organic. And sometimes that eliminates the opportunity for small regional suppliers to play a role in that organic system. So I do believe that there are opportunities outside of a certification for agricultural producers to be doing amazing work that can be equal or better than organic. There is also a new wave. It's actually the organic regenerative standard, which is the next version of the organic standard, which is beyond like sustainable. It's actually into how do we regenerate our planet through farming practices. And so there's been a lot of movement in that space in the last five years. You, could, you know, Patagonia, for example, has made a commitment to regenerative certification or sorry, regenerative supply. Actually, I think there's some pet companies that are working on that as well. The other piece around organic is that it's really focused on synthetic fertilizers and pesticide use. When I define sustainability, it's not just about the planet, right? It's also about the humans that live here and the animals that live here as well. And so my view of sustainability is beyond just an environmental indicator. Certainly the organic standard has been a foundational component of this movement. And I think it's a great it's a great standard and it's evolving because we've recognized there's actually more to this. And it, regeneration and regenerative practices are kind of that next wave. I, so I've got like a, a twofold for you, um, and it might be slightly controversial as well. So number one, I hear, I've heard people talking about recycling being more of a, um, well, like you said, buzzword earlier, Megan, just something that people say and like, is it really a thing? Is it really helping us? Because the recycling process is really so drawn out, difficult and expensive. You know, I, I try to recycle this water bottle. I have to take the lid off. I have to take the wrapper off, all those things. So a lot of people don't take those steps. So what are your thoughts on that? And then secondly, how do we motivate people to then kind of jump in there? Because it's like chicken and egg. Where does it start with the companies being sustainable or the consumer being recyclable? <laughs> so, yes. Yeah. Um, that's a hard question. So I agree that the recycling system is broken. And I think a lot of that is actually because companies that are responsible for making plastics aren't also responsible for recovering plastics. Right. And so we have actually pushed this problem from the producer's responsibility to the consumer's responsibility. And in my opinion, consumers getting them to do anything is an uphill battle. Right. So I don't like to leave much to the consumer of like, (laughs) oh, they're really going to make this happen. I think businesses are in a much better position to build and design differently for what's called circularity. Right. So like if you're producing something, you're not just producing it for your user and then it goes to the landfill. How are we producing in a circular mindset of not pulling materials, but really creating a full use cycle that it can be regenerated and reused again and again and again. And so it kind of answers both of the, a little bit of both of those questions, but on the chicken or the egg, I really, I really believe that 
the producers of waste are responsible for that waste. And so I I do think we are fortunate that our that consumers care and they have created this poll of companies being willing to come into a room and talk about sustainability as one of the lead drivers for their consumer set and therefore they're gonna get in line. But I think the next evolution of this is really looking at there is the potential that our planet cannot sustain life, right? And what are we gonna do about that? Because there's no business case in using all of our resources. Like what what are you gonna create next, right? We have nothing left. And so I think it takes government, but I think government's slow to act. The innovation that's required to really address a lot of the problems that we're seeing requires rapid action, and I think businesses are in the best position to take that action. So I put most of the responsibility on, on businesses, personally. Is that why you are trying to focus so much with the Pet Sustainability Coalition on the businesses, because they are going to be the ones that are going to have the biggest impact? If you look at, let's take, you know, one of the big five, let's, you've got this enormous pet company, right? They make a change on 1% of their product. And if you actually measured, let's say the impact of climate change, the carbon impact of that, it is an enormous shift in the way that we impact the global environment. And so I think that because businesses are the most ideal, fastest, innovative, and they can reap the rewards of it place for change to happen. That's why I've invested much of my career in working with businesses in a way that they enjoy, right? Like if you look at our retention rate in our membership, it's above 80%, right? Companies come to us, it might seem like a huge job at first, but when you have partnership and you have the tools that you need and it doesn't feel like this big, enormous monster that you have no idea where to get started on, it actually becomes like a joyful part of their business. There are people out there who are just profit monsters, right? I don't work with many of them. (laughs) But most people have their eyes open too, right? We all live in this world. We're not just business owners, we're also consumers. We also, many of us have children, many of us care about what the planet is going to look like and what was our business and our life contribution to that. You know, I think especially in the last two years as everyone's doing this like massive shift and like what is the point of life and what am I doing here, right? I think this is only going to continue to be additional opportunity for people to be in the business space and to do well for themselves and to do well for their business and to create incredible jobs for lots of people and to do that in a way that is responsible for our planet. And at the end of the day, they're even, they feel more profitable with their business because they drove prosperity, right? They were a part of, of something good. I was reading an article, I've already forgotten what what was the name of the magazine where you, they were doing the women in, in, in the industry article? Pet food processing. Yes. Yeah. The article in pet food processing where they were focused on women in the industry. And one of the statements that really stood out to me that you said was they asked you what was one of your most proudest moments or about your career. And you said that you feel like you are doing something part of a bigger good. So is that, is that still true? And, and how do you feel like you're continuing that, that feeling of doing uh, something for the, the better good? Impact has been a key part of my career kind of forever. I was raised in the country. I've always had strong environmental values. Both of my parents care deeply about both the people we share the world with in our communities and the environment. And so I knew that I was going to be a part of the environmental movement in some way. You know, I did my undergraduate in environmental studies, I did my master's in sustainable business. And so I knew this was the direction that I wanted to go. And I think one of the pieces that, so early on in co-founding this organization, 
it was an uphill battle, right, of pushing this rock. It's just like, oh, it's got to go up this hill. And I think we're turning 10 next year and really looking at how how much steam and how much momentum has been built. You know, like we provide the drumbeat, but everyone is like in, right? They're, it's, it's just not the uphill battle that it was before. And so I just took a 12-week professional sabbatical for myself. I've been back for two weeks. And really having this opportunity to stand back and see how much the organization has grown. We have a full staff. We're growing all the time. 15 new members came in while I was gone for 12 weeks and things like that happen. And you realize that even even when you step away as an individual, we have created a movement that is unstoppable. And so that feels like success regardless of what our sales look like for the year or I still love looking at the metrics every year because every individual took action. Here's our aggregate action as an organization. Like those are really powerful numbers. But ultimately I've helped to inspire this community of companies that won't ever do business the same way and can't ever think out. Like sustainability has become a part of their mindset. And that shift I think is what is really where I was coming from with those comments around having created this amazing movement. What is your prognosis for sustainability? How long do you think it's going to, how long do you think it'll take for it to really take effect? Like a real, like substantial effect that we can feel and see. Uh, And how long do you think that this will last? Do you feel like this will trend out or people will really latch onto this and own it? I don't think it is going anywhere. One of the most remarkable things that we've seen really just in the last 12 months is an increase in by at least 10% within our membership, an increase in sustainability director roles, right? So that means this isn't someone's side project that they're doing on top of their job. This is someone's full-time job where they have KPIs and metrics that they have to report against. I think that shift is going to be monumental in the breadth and the depth at which companies approach sustainability moving forward. So I think we're going to start seeing a lot more public commitments. I mentioned that we have five companies today who are making 2025 commitments to sustainable packaging. I think we will start seeing more public commitments where people are reporting to global standards. So it's not just, hey, here's our little sustainability report, but how are we reporting to kind of this global standard around sustainability? So I think there are already pieces in place that are suggesting the breadth and depth is going to kind of dramatically increase over the next couple of years. And the industry is poised to grow by three in the next five years, so $320 billion by 2028. And that amount of growth is insane for any industry, right? But I think the bigger we get, the bigger the light becomes on our heads of, hey, what are you guys doing in this space, right? And there are tons of activists in this space, uh, people attacking different companies for animal treatment or animal cages, or there's a lot of activism happening that I think this industry is going to start attracting more and more of. And I think that pushes companies to take more action as well. I don't wish that upon this industry (laughs) in any way. I hope to be a part of the process to equip them before those things happen so that they're so far above standard that that's not even a blip um, on their radar. But I think those things are going to increase as this industry continues to get bigger as well. Well, Caitlin, you are obviously very passionate about this and you are you're making a huge impact in the industry and in the world. And but something we have noticed is that this can be a very male dominated industry as well. Hence, probably that article about women in the industry, if we have to highlight women. So how are how do you feel about that in, in women in the industry and how has that also impacted how you are building the pet sustainability coalition yeah so there's a couple of components of that first of all in 
being taken as a credible leader in the industry. First of all, I was in my 20s, right? So I was young and I was a woman, right? So two things that are a little bit outside the norm in this industry for sure. So I was super grateful to have an older successful man as my co-founder because it opened a lot of doors that I think would have been harder to open at that time. So I feel like the partnership of those two things really helped give me a, a step up into that. I think another piece is that I, I didn't focus a ton of time on the companies who weren't in the conversation for the right reasons that weren't already thinking about sustainability within their business. So when you first launch something, right, you get those early adopters that already get it. And early adopters on sustainability are also tend to be generally kind of woke people, right? So they're thinking about things like gender equality and diversity, equity, and inclusion as well. And so I feel so fortunate that many of our founding companies and founding board members, you know, were progressive people, right? This is a progressive movement, progressive in all sorts of ways. So I feel like I dodged some of those kind of initial things that would have been setbacks for a whole lot of people. I think the other thing that we have really found in hiring is that in the nonprofit space, and this is a service-based organization, right? We provide service. Sustainability itself is kind of a service, right? It's impact-driven. That we have a very strongly dominated female team. And so we've actually had to work to achieve gender diversity in the way that most companies don't, which is how do we attract men to our organization? And how do we achieve gender equality that way? So we've actually had some different challenges on that front. So 80% of my team are women. I have successfully hired two men in the last year, which is great. But you know, I feel like with the Me Too movement that happened a couple of years ago and the shift in what acceptable business behavior is and the acknowledgement of what the experience of being a woman in this country is like has really started to put people on their toes and realize that A, most of our consumers in this industry are women, right? They're the people who are out buying the product. We need to elevate women into management roles and senior executive roles and the companies who do that outperform by far, right? And so the data, also helps to usher in kind of more gender equality. And I think also this industry is gonna age out, right? If you look at the average age of most of the business owners in this industry, that's gonna shift a lot in the next 10 years, unless people wanna be working when they're 90 or 80, you know, seems unlikely. And so I think there's a natural progression that's going to take place in, in over the next decade around that as well. All right, well, I have one more question for you. It's a very big, serious question. Do you have any pets? <laughs> I do. I have an English pointer named Gus, who is now 11 years old. I can't believe it. He's finally showing his age. Um, but that's it right now. We have we're a one dog family. Nice. Me too, actually. I have an only child dog. Well, thank you. Appreciate your time. All right. Thank you. You've been listening to the Pet Industry Podcast, distributed by DSM Partners, LLC, and produced by Cliff Dubinois. Your podcast team is Whitney Russell, Steve Cawthron, and Megan Springer. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time on the Pet Industry Podcast.